The Manage Smarter Show is brought to you by SalesCred, the sales skill building solution that empowers sales teams worldwide to multiply sales opportunities by improving perception, accelerating trust building, and by earning repeat business. Get the best-selling book by C. Lee Smith, download the free mobile app, and now sign up for the SalesCred Masterclasses. Book your session now at salescred.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Today we're going to talk about categories and we're going to talk about what's called a super consumer and kind of have a little jambalaya of both those topics, Lee. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. It's like we really like to focus on psychographics. Uh, and I think that ties in nicely to the conversation on the super consumer. But, uh, you know, Eddie's got some fantastic insight, you know, on category design. We want to learn a, little, a lot more about that today. Absolutely. Welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. My name is Audrey Strong. I'm vice president of communications here at SalesFuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith. I'm the CEO and founder of SalesFuel. Okay. So like we said, get ready to dive into the fascinating world of category strategy with a true authority in the field. We are thrilled to have Eddie Yoon as our guest today. He's the co-founder of Category Pirates LLC, a business writing band and top 10 business substack. He's also a distinguished author and expert who has contributed extensively to the Harvard Business Review on category strategy. And with his unparalleled knowledge and expertise, Eddie is set to share groundbreaking insights. His latest book called The 22 Laws of Category design his other book called super consumers a simple speedy and sustainable path to superior growth eddie thank you for coming today we sure appreciate it thanks audrey thanks lee it's like to be here so lee you wanted to take the first question oh no the first question is easy just for those who are not familiar uh what is category design yeah category design um the simplest way i can describe it is it's the ultimate growth strategy um, and what, what I mean by that, if you want to grow your business and everybody does, um, it's the first place in, and the most important place you should start, but I would say 99 out of hundred business leaders just miss it. They, they skip over it. Uh, and, and partly it's because they assume the box that the world puts them in. So what is a category? It's, it's a designation. It's a bucket. However you want to think about it. Uh, we often describe like, you know, Lee and Audrey, if I said, Hey, I want to, I'm from Hawaii. And I said, I want to invite you over to dinner. We're going to go out to Merriman's. You're going to ask me the question is, well, what kind of restaurant is Merriman's? The category matters far more than the brand. Mm -hmm. And because if if I told you it's experimental Hawaiian Korean cuisine, that's fixated on making you spice uh, a sweat through spice, then (laughs) you might be very interested. You might not be interested in that. Right. I clear Um, my sinuses for sure. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. If you're congested then that's the way to go, but, but like it's, it's kind of human nature. uh, The way the brain works is to think category first and then everything else second. And yet Mm -hmm. businesses fail to do that. And in so regard, um, when you don't address the category design question or the category strategy question, then um, basically the world puts you in a box. It's like, oh, I know what you are. You make microphones for podcasting. And therefore, the way that I evaluate you is you are somehow better, faster, cheaper than everything else in there. And the degrees of freedom you have from a marketing and a pricing perspective are very, very small. But if you said, no, no, no. I'm not in the microphone business. I'm in the podcasting microphone business. We're like, oh, well, what is that? It's a different category and you can design it, e.g. create it 
rewrite the rules in a way that affect you and frankly, allow you to charge maybe exponentially more or do radically different strategies that no one would ever thought about. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. So what I hear you saying pretty much is that if you don't define the category you're in, the consumer will define it for you. Or your competitors, even worse. Or your, especially your competitors. So who's really good? What, what well-known brands are really good at category design in your mind? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, they're not that prevalent, but they're prominent. So you see them all around. So it's not as frequently as you would see them, but things like, you know, some of the obvious ones would be like Tesla, right? It's uh, not a car, it's an electric vehicle car, but not, and it's not even really a car company. It is, um, you know, their mission is accelerating the world to sustainable energy, right? And so what does that mean? What does that have anything to do with cars? Well, cars are the first part of it. Uh, batteries are a major component of the cars, as is solar panel generation, as is the software that comes along with that. And then when you have all of that, you know, put simply like, you would say Ford and General Motors or Porsche or Lamborghini, whatever you want to call it, they are clearly in the car business. And the way that I describe Tesla and SpaceX as an example for, so Elon is a serial category designer. <clears throat> you know, I always say Tesla is plan A, save the planet. And if that doesn't work, SpaceX is plan B, leave We're the planet. we got to go to Mars. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, you, you kind of recognize it when um, a category uh, design company is, you, you look at it, you're like, there's not really a substitute for it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I, there might be some things if I couldn't buy uh, an iPhone, you know, the latest iPhones are out. You could buy a Samsung and Android, but it's not the same. There's a lot of things you give up and sacrifice for it. And so people stay sticky to it or um, on a smaller level. You know, I, I always say, uh, you know, coffee is a great category that has been designed many, many times. And so you're not having to like create a new element on the periodic table. But if I told you, uh, uh, this is my parlor trick question is um, in the last 50 years, has uh, coffee consumption in America gone up or down? Would you say? Oh, up. Well, I in actuality. Yeah, yeah, I would say it, down. Because the, it's like is, a, we're beyond like the Maxwell House and the Folgers of the world where people, you know, had... <laughs> Came the office and had these giant coffee pots or whatever, and they were sucking down coffee all day long. That doesn't happen these days. Yeah, yeah, I know it, it's a total uh, setup question. So uh, Lee, you got it in that coffee per capita consumption in America has been cut in half oh. in the last fifty years, if you can believe that. Now, the market cap of all the combined coffee companies has gone up by fifty billion dollars. How is that possible? Well, uh, they've done a couple of things. One is that the price per cup has dramatically increased over time. So Pricing is one lever. Um, the freq- the frequency of coffee consumed per person has gone up. However, um, it's gone up in different ways. And so Starbucks is not really a coffee company as much as it is a dairy company. They wow. sell way more milk than they actually do coffee. And how do they do that? They design new types of coffee. So, you know, you have black coffee, of course, or drip coffee, you put some cream in it, whatever. You have uh, lattes and mochas. They didn't create those from Europe or whatever, but like increasingly the volume of uh, dairy to coffee is dramatically shifting. And then um, to their credit, what they designed was the Frappuccino. Yeah. Sounds Italian. Is not. (laughs) Who knows what that is? And what is it's a milkshake. It's a coffee flavored milkshake designed to be consumed in the afternoon. So you go from I have a morning cup of coffee to I got a frappuccino in the afternoon. And when you go to Starbucks in the afternoon around school time, it's a zoo because you got a whole bunch of kids coming in there and drinking up the you know, and most of them would not drink a black cup of coffee. 
So that's the third lever. They've increased new consumers into the category. And that's, you know, uh, in essence, um, how you would design a new category in a legacy product that is well understood. Keurig has done the same thing in a different way. Nespresso has done the same thing in a different way. And, and I'm sure there will be ne the next version of the coffee company that's like, oh, I never thought of that beforehand, but they're totally changing it in a way, again, not substitutable. That's a brand that everybody wants to try out. It's a, it's a very trendy, hip kind of brand still to the, to this day. And you think of all the other coffee companies. You think of Pete's, Caribou Coffee, Duncan. Mm -hmm. Dutch Brothers. Uh, Duncan's yeah. huge in, in the Northeast, mind you. But you know the others just don't seem to have the same cachet that, that Starbucks has. So yeah, I have a question. We're a sales data intelligence company. We have a ton of... Uh, proprietary consumer information, including purchase intent. So if I'm looking to create a category and expand my business, my unique category, and find the super consumers, do I look at purchase intent? And then how do I identify the super consumers are going to spend more money and become brand evangelists? Great, great question, Audrey. So um, I would say um, what you want to, the fact that you have data is a wonderful asset. Um, what I would coach you all to do is to look for the weirdest data you can find. <laughs> okay. Uh, most most businesses um, and, and business executives are trained to, you know, you think about a normal distribution curve. You look at the fat part, the middle part, you're like, hey, where is the average? Where are most of the people? And I say, ignore that stuff. That's not super interesting. That's you accept the premise of the business that you're in. Look at the tails. Look at the extremes, people who consume an extreme amount, that's a super consumer, and people who consume a minimal amount, that's a non-consumer. And at some level, there is a mission and a quest that the super consumers figured out. The reason why they buy a lot or have a high purchase intent of a category has very little to do with the category itself. The category is in service of something oh, else they are trying okay. to do. And okay. that mission oftentimes um, will resonate with the non-consumer and pull them into the category. So as an example... Uh, the fastest growing consumer in video games are uh, women kind of in the 35 to 55 year old range. Wow. Why is that? 2X faster because uh, the category has nicely designed a new kind of game, right? So you think of video games, you think of a teenage boy in a dark basement, you know, yeah, playing a violent shoot em up game yeah. on a console, right? <laughs> um, what well, the growth in video games are casual games on your phone. It's words with friends. It's candy crush. It's wordle. It's things of that nature that chess.com chess.com. Yeah, exactly. Like there, there is, and it's, it's the whole thing of like um, the gaming experience is radically different. The price point is radically different and they're not expensive. Many of them are free. Mm -hmm. However, um, did you know that uh, 0.15% of all the people who play casual games generate 50% of the revenue? I believe it. Yeah, I can't. totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I paid my money for my diamond level at chess.com happily doing it. So, <laughs> and Absolutely. he keeps beating me, Eddie. We play on our smartphones back and forth, and I keep well, I've beat him a couple of times. I need to take the lessons. Um, so with for managers that are involved in um, a scaling up, so I would love some tips because it is managed smarter is the name of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're caught up in an, a scaling up into a unique category that's being created, what are some of the challenges and opportunities you see? Oh, absolutely. I I would say um the the, the way the, my my uh turn of phrase on manage smarter, if if you allow me, it will be manage weirder. I mentioned weird data beforehand, yes. uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. Is that um if you if you manage smart and it's conventional wisdom, you're probably gonna be in a better, faster, cheaper fight. 
And so okay. if you if that might work if you are the big 800 pound gorilla in your space. But if you're up and coming, you don't want to play with the rules that design were designed by somebody else. You want to manage weirder. And what I mean by that, and so this is a, a great tip for you all um, uh, just because of the data assets that you have, is uh, probably the, the two most important ideas out of my book, Super Consumers, was um, a super consumer of one category is a super consumer of nine other categories, some of which are obvious and some of which are non-obvious. Right. So set said in your parlance, if you got somebody in your data set that is a high purchase intent of category A, what you want to do is figure out category C, D, Z, and Q are also high and figure out what's up with that. Why is that data so weird? What's going on there? And you will figure out either a couple of things. Um, one is that you can drive your acquisition cost of customers way, way, way down. How is that possible? Well, um, uh, I did this for, I, I write about this in my book is that, uh, somebody who is a super consumer of vitamins is a super consumer of life insurance is a super consumer of electric generators. So you, you mentioned, that, yeah. you know, Northeast, uh, Dunkin' Donuts and you know, generators are real important. Bo mm -hmm. Power just went out in, uh, for friends of mine in Boston. Right. And uh, a generator is an extremely hard category to market and sell because you're talking about terrible things that you don't want to think about. And it's expensive. They're like seven to 15 grand. And you're like, I never budgeted for this. Why would I actually need it? And so, um, you know, the the business, uh, Gener Generac, who I'd helped some years ago, um, they were like, well, their, their strategy was wait for a bad disaster or the power to go out, then we can sell a bunch of these things. But that's really hard to measure your business around the weather, as we can all attest to, right? So what you do is you look for people who are overinsured and love vitamins, and that the way, the single greatest way to reduce their cost of acquisition is to find somebody, uh, find a partner in the insurance space, find a partner in some sort of vitamin space or a, a vitamin shop might be a, a great way of looking at it, right? And that you're looking for weird data in other people's categories so that you can say, aha, I know my super consumers are living there. Let's partner up. Let's do a co-marketing thing. Let's share leads or whatever else it might be. And then secondarily, um, uh, super geographies. This is another kind of uh, weird data that I always talk about is that um, everyone believes you want to go national, you want to you know expand your reach. And it's like, you know what? A small fraction of zip codes drive the lion's share of the category. So it's a corollary to the super consumer theory in that you don't actually need to be everywhere. You need to be in the right places. And that um, the, my, my favorite example that I've been given recently is um, I took my parents with my brother to Alaska and we we drove by Wasilla and the tour guide was like, who knows what Wasilla is famous for? It's like, well, Sarah Palin is from there. But then right, the second say. part that he says was, um, did you know that the Walmart down the street in Wasilla has their sales per capita of duct tape off the charts so high that the senior executives from Bentonville flew up to say, what in the world is going on with this weird data here, right? And then, so you explore why. Like, this data is so weird. Tell me what I should do about it. Like, what's going on here? And it turns out, you know, um, why is duct tape so uh, valuable and uh, sought after in Alaska? It's, again, weather related. The weather is terrible. If your window gets blown out in your car, duct tape to the mm -hmm. rescue. If, if uh, you get trapped in the middle of whatever else it is and you're stuck in your car, duct tape to the rescue. Duct tape can save your life in a way in extreme weather conditions that if you, you know, I grew up in Hawaii, probably doesn't really matter as much to me in there, right? And so if you wanted to sell more duct tape, you would figure out what are the underlying root causes to why Wasilla is so high. 
look for comparable markets like that and dominate those markets and not go to places where it's going to be largely irrelevant. So super mm-hmm. consumer uh, of one category, super of nine and super geographies. If you build your strategy around that, you will not only manage smarter, you'll be managing weirder and people will be like, how in the world did you get that result with so little investment? See, I would have guessed it'd be a high male population buying all that duct tape because that's what we use to fix things, right? <laughs> you don't have so, to read the directions. So, you know, well, no, that's what YouTube there. is for. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I wanted to ask you a, a question about, about something that's happening here uh, recently. I, I'm thinking about the uh, the streaming companies. Uh, and, and our company is like we have just about every major media company uh, as, as a client. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking specifically about the deal that Disney made with, mm-hmm. with Spectrum or, or Charter Communications. Uh, and the fact that it seems to me that all these media companies have been really working hard to try to get a direct consumer, but they're finding it difficult, more difficult than they thought it was going to be. And I don't see profitability on the horizon for them for quite some time. And so I was really intrigued about the deal that Disney made with Charter, where Charter is actually going to be selling uh, their, their streaming networks. And they've got many other media deals upcoming or whatever. Is that what you see perhaps as a future of that category? Uh, for, for these media companies that are trying to make a, a profit off of uh, direct-to-consumer streaming? Yeah, no, it, it's a great, great question. Um, the, the future is ironically the same, but the path to get there is going to be different. So meaning the consumer actually wants bundles. You know, so the whole kind of unbundling, cutting the cable cord and everything else, you know, there's truth to that. They don't want bundles that they didn't choose. Hmm. No one wants to be forced, uh, uh, foisted upon a bundle of ESPN one, two, three, and Ocho and whatever that I didn't pick. Right. Um, So, but uh, what the consumer is finding now is that having to manage six different streaming options is like way complicated and just as expensive as it was when I had cable. Right. So the end state is the same. The consumer wants it to be convenient. They want, but they want what they want and they want to be in control, but not so much that it is a huge amount of work. So the question is, how do we get there? Does, does the market kind of get there naturally? Everyone's pushes streaming and the consumer sorts itself out. And then eventually like, you know, the paramounts of the world may not survive and then somebody will buy them and it'll become some new version of it, right? Is that it'll, there'll just be some consolidation or the rumor is, uh, you know, maybe Apple will pick up ESPN out of Disney because they don't want to, Disney doesn't want to deal with all of this stuff. They just, I want to make movies. I want to convert those movies into amusement park things. And if I use Disney plus as a lost leader for all of those things, I'm perfectly happy as a can't clam, but these other assets, I don't, I don't really want to be in the linear TV business. Right. Because like that, that's the truth is that um, the, the, so the, the, couple of truths from a first principle standpoint, the consumer wants choice and convenience. That's kind of one, right? So the bundles are the outcome there. Two is that um, uh, the this whole kind of like um, a strategy of consolidation and scale, like I'm the 800 pound gorilla is not going to work because the consumer is too different. Not everybody wants the same kind of content. And so the, the strategy that Disney has cut uh, or the deal that they've cut with Charter, um, it's kind of a continuation of the same old, same old type of a thing at the same level of like the Comcast, Charter, their business is not content. They want to sell broadband. Mm-hmm. And they, they they actually want like senior citizen broadband consumers, like you pay it, you forget it, and you never use the broadband. <laughs> like that's kind of who they ideally want, right? 
And so st- streaming um, is a bit of a frenemy to them, right? Uh, could they win all the internet um, of, of all the Netflix uh, binge watchers? Great. It's going to tie up a ton of bandwidth. So they don't really want mm-hmm. all of them. They want some of them, right? So how do we get all of these incentives to align is um, if if all of these companies would cease to be mercenaries and be missionaries, e.g., um, Disney should not be fixated on um, repeating the same thing of, I want you to buy all eight ESPN channels, right? Because nobody watches six, seven, and eight or whatever else it is. But they should say, if you want, you should be able to design your own ESPN. I like baseball. I like the NFL. I like the UFC. Great, great, great. Let me consolidate all those. And I don't want anything else. Let me pay for the things that I want to pay for because live sports is always going to be in a, a great business. But, you know, Clips, uh, Sports Center, no longer a great business. That's what YouTube is for, as you said, mm-hmm. right? Learning about how to use duct tape and watching clips. <laughs> That's right. And that the, the, the second part is an HBR article that um, my co-author, Christopher and I, Lockett and I wrote about, which was um, the Netflix problem of churn, right? Is that it's, it's uh, everybody is kind of self-inflicted wounds because they're all being kind of selfish. Netflix wants to grow. They want you to binge and they want you to stick around. But what ends up happening is they've trained consumers. Oh, you know, Stranger Things new season dropped. I'm going to binge it all in a weekend and I'm going to stop paying for it until the next season comes out. Right. So that's the problem that they face. And so it goes back to the premise of the article was you need a non-obvious bundle, e.g. super consumer of one category, super consumer of nine. Netflix, if they were smart and they are, Disney, if they were smart and they are, they would realize that the super consumers of streaming are also super consumers of fitness programs, Peloton, Beachbody, that's a client of ours and the like, right? And this is a non-obvious one. You think of someone who's a big streamer and binge watcher, like couch potato. Maybe that's the thought that comes to mind, right? <laughs> but that there are people like the, the people who love to buy cookies are over-indexed on gyms. And it turns yeah. out they want to work out, out to eat. To eat cookies, right? And <laughs> yeah. So the same thing is the, the same. I want to stream what I want to stream and binge, but I want to exercise. And guess what? Um, fitness content is not bingeable. You are not going to sit through 10 hours of a workout and just go straight all the way through. Fitness content is sticky. It's akin to live sports, but different, right? And so if the smart companies uh, were actually smart, they would not be looking, they'd not be worried about like beating up charter or what they'd pick up fitness content. You know, Peloton should, if Peloton I were them, the streaming company, I would get out of the bike business and get into the streaming content yeah. business. And, and that's the way that they should be looking at it. And so it's, it's all comes back to let's look at where the end state is. The consumer wants convenience and choice. If they were actually speak, take the time to figure out this weird data of what does a consumer actually want, you could construct an offer in a bundle that Charter would be like, oh, you know, now that you're not shoving ESPN down my throat, I actually feel good about this. And guess what? Broadband is needed for all of this stuff. So I feel very, very good about that. Right. So like there is a solution and a way out. Everyone just has to stop being mercenary and be more missionary about it. So interesting. Well, I I love the whole analysis of that. And I know if we asked you again in six months, it would be completely different because that whole space is moving a, a gazillion miles an hour. Eddie, this has been great. Categorypirates.com is your website. How would you like people to interact with you? Yeah, uh, categorypirates.com is great. You can find me at Eddie Wood Grow on Twitter or LinkedIn that way. But, um, you know, f- I would say uh, go to our Category Pirates Substack. Our latest thinking and our books are on there. 
We're launching a Mighty Networks Category Design Academy. If you want to learn how to, you know, practice some of these things, that's fantastic. Um, but you know, we're, we're our goal is to spread the gospel of category design because we we feel like so many businesses would succeed far greater and faster if they would actually apply some very basic thinking and execute against that. Perfect. And we're going to change the Manage Smarter show title yeah, to Manage Weirder. Manage Weirder, yes. I'm gonna go After this comes out, right we're just going to change everything, Eddie. Yeah, it's everything. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Great Absolutely. conversation. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.